Good. All right, so tonight we're going to continue uh, with moving through the Old Testament and learning a lot from God's Word in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start us off tonight. Instead of starting us in the New Testament tonight for points of reference or um, specifically in Isaiah to begin with, I'm going to go ahead and move us ahead to, because I promised we would start to introduce Moses tonight, so I'm going to make sure we accomplish that at the very beginning. Uh, We will not get to, um, I'm pretty confident uh, that we will not get to a further development into Exodus 3. We'll pick that up next time. And then Exodus 3, 4, 5, 6, the subsequent chapters, which, by the way, pertain, uh, Jim, it should be interesting to you when we get into by next week, because the I am sayings of Jesus um, relate to uh, what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 3. We'll just bridge into that tonight but then we're going backwards okay so we'll move on and catch up with moses over the next couple wednesday nights and god's covenant uh, with israel through moses and how that affects israel and our christian um, gospel okay so tonight to begin with i've got it pulled out for you here at the beginning of the handout so i make it easy at the beginning of the handout Uh, you don't really have to open your bibles for these first two passages you may if you'd like but um, Exodus 2, 23 through 24. Uh, this is basically almost the very end of the prelude to the Moses story. Okay. Now, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God verse 24 of Exodus chapter 2 so God heard their groaning and God remembered you see I have this underlined now it's not underlined in the in the typical translation I've got it underlined for you there because I want you to catch this It's in the handout now. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, as we've already studied a little bit, God develops his covenant promises and calls, I'm making a covenant. You know, he'll say, I've made a covenant with you. Now he says, I'm cutting a covenant with you. I'm establishing my covenant. So in some ways, there are multiple covenants going on with Abraham, but but in a big sense, you're talking about a covenant with Abraham, okay? So that's what this is saying. And also, as you can see, is this just a covenant with Abraham? No. It's the covenant that God has made with Abraham and with whom else? Isaac and Jacob. Now, by the way, Abraham has a number of sons. Not only does he have Ishmael, but after, you know, remember this, after Sarah, you know, is old and then dies, you know, he has further sons and children is this a covenant made with all of them no this is the covenant god made with abraham isaac now jacob has a brother named esau does god is this a reference to god's covenant with esau no so god has chosen a specific god chooses these specific covenant people okay um does anybody want to stop me before I, you know, we've kind of seen that going on. 
uh, none of y'all, if, you, if you're online, really want to ask me about that, we can talk about that more. But you notice there's a theme that runs through the Bible. God happens to choose people okay, for a covenant relationship. So um, in any event, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, do you think when it says God remembered that God is an old senile deity? You know, because after all, the way he's typically drawn, he's got really, you know, white hair and a big white beard and everything. So he's probably pretty old. Maybe he just kind of forgot for a, a few hundred years. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? Is God really an old man with a white beard, by the way? Hmm? He's, no, he's not. The Bible tells us he's not a man. He's a spirit. Okay, God is spirit. Okay, so he's not an old man with a white beard. Okay, he may he may appear at various times to people so we can kind of understand something of him like that. But uh, no, there's nothing. You don't get any physical representation of of certainly of God the Father as the way artists typically like to draw him and our grandchildren like to draw him. Okay, <laughs> anyway, um, so did did God get senile and forget for a few hundred years? What does this mean then? God remembered. Well, I think it's just a recalling. I mean, you know, it's just kind of brings it to the fore from the crying out of the people of Israel. Yeah. So it brings it to the fore, and he's also it. It usually it means it's actionable. When he remembers something, it means he's he's going to respond now. Now there are going to be times when uh, you know with Isaiah. Uh, the people in exile for 70 years, they think that God has either doomed them and or forgotten them. Has God forgotten them? Okay, but then when God, you know, when God causes Cyrus to allow them to return to Israel, God remembers his promises. Did he forget over the course of the 70 years they were in exile? No, it's a way of speaking. Do you all understand what I'm saying? <laughs> in other words, they're under judgment and punishment for a period of time, uh, but then God remembers his covenant promises because basically it's time. He's decided it's time, you know, and obviously this is set before time even begins, that, okay, now I'm going to remember my covenant promises. In other words, act on them. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Um, so uh, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, uh, moving on uh, to Isaiah, uh, excuse me, to Exodus chapter three. Um, well, let me just say this because this is a big word here. Uh, verse twenty-five. Yes. One of the things that Strong said is he thought on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he reflected upon it. Yes. And reflected on it again in a way that it's now time to act. Okay. Uh, let me just say, verse 25, I did not pull this out and put it on your handout, but verse 25, I guess I should do too. Exodus 2.25, right after that saying that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, um, oh, and let me also just say this on the remember. Sorry, this, uh, but, but this is important from our side. So when we take communion, what do we say we're doing? What does Jesus command us to do when we take communion? 
do this. Does this mean we've totally forgotten who Jesus is for like months on end between taking communion? Okay, so y'all hear the way this is covenant language, right? Um, if I said, and, and I remembered my marriage vows to Nancy, would it mean that like I went for several weeks without remembering I was married to Nancy? No, but it's just, it's a deeper covenant actionable type of response, okay? All right, so um, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That's verse 25. That's the last verse of Exodus 2. And it's a similar kind of thing, parallel to what we're talking about. Did, did God not know any of this stuff was going on for several hundred years? What do you think? No, but this is a big word in the, in the Hebrew, the yada. Uh, you know, know means not just here, but here and experientially. Okay? So when a man knows his wife, that doesn't just mean, oh yeah, she's kind of cute across the room there. There's, there's a real relationship going on. Uh, in, in the case of when it's used, when that word is used for people, like married couples, it means sex but it also means an inner relationship, okay? So God knew. God knew the people of Israel. God is in relationship with them, okay? And God is aware. And it should be an encouragement to us, too, to understand that by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, God knows us, okay? That's more than just, I mean, God knows everybody in the world, right? God knows some ungodly terrorist who's trying to blow a bunch of people up right now. But God knows his people in a covenantal, relational way, and in a way where your pain or your concerns he is aware of and invites you into relationship with him. Okay? So that's there, that's there too in that 25. So there's, in other words, these little verbs in these short little verses are really important, okay? So uh, then picking up, so that's the, that's the bridge into one of the most famous, um, hand out back there, guys, one of the most famous passages, of course, in the entire Bible, much less the Old Testament, um, which is Exodus chapter 3. So again, we're just going to introduce and kind of go into this, and I'll come back to this later, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get to... Um, Eh, yeah, I share, eh, yeah, I am who I am. Okay, I'm not going to get there today. I'm not going to get to Yahweh today. Um, but I am going to go ahead and do this. So um, just reading, in the handout I've got, verses 4 through 6 and verse 12 highlighted for you. I'm just going to read through this whole little segment, and then we'll look at what I've got highlighted for you. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Um, so this is identified as the mountain of God. This is not Zion, okay? This is not um, Moriah. This is not in Jerusalem, okay? This is in um, the wilderness of Midian. You know, that's in the range of Midianite territory. Okay? But it's the mountain of God. 
And verse 2, and the angel of the Lord, now that, you see that, we've talked about this before, and this is going to be really important for a later study, because like I said, I'm not going to do Asherah tonight, and I'm not going to do Yahweh tonight, but Yahweh, Jehovah, when it's translated into English, almost every single English, every common English translation is going to, is going to typically have it all caps with like a big L and then smaller case but cap O-R-D. That means Jehovah. That means Yahweh. Okay. So uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, in other words, Moses looked, Moshe, that's his name in Hebrew, Moshe. Um, he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, when I preached on Isaiah 6, and I'm going to come back to Isaiah 6 in a few minutes, but remember when I preached on Isaiah 6, I think in, because I spent some time with Isaiah 6, as you'll remember back in January, and one of the things I noted was uh, God is a consuming fire, right? It was like Hebrews says, God is a consuming fire. I mean, Torah says God is a consuming fire, but interestingly enough, when something belongs to God, when God knows it in the way we just talked about, okay, the fire doesn't destroy. The fire purifies. And so we see that kind of at work here. Is the bush destroyed by the fire of God? No. Is the bush serving the purpose of God? Yes. If we belong to God and serve his purposes, will we be destroyed by his holiness? No. Okay. All right. So just remember that. Remember I kind of preached on that in one of those sermons in Isaiah 6. Um, so uh, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. <laughs> so he decides this is actually more interesting than the sheep he's looking for. He's a pretty smart guy. Now, sometimes we are not smart enough to even pick up on that, right? We'll keep looking for the sheep or keep going to our next meeting instead of God sitting there like with an angel saying, hey, if you had stopped for a minute, I'd have big news for you if you'd ever pay attention to me. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So, so Moses has sense enough to put, turn aside from the sheep and go over to this bush that's not consumed by the fire. Um, and then this picks up on what I'm highlighting here. Um, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He calls him twice. Now, if you know your Bible, you really know your Bible, you really know your Torah, this is a hyperlink thing. And the first thing, or one of the first things you're going to think about is Abraham. I'll, go, I'll take us there in a few minutes. Abraham. Abraham. Okay. But here it's Moshe, Moshe. Okay. Um, and he said, Hanani. Now that is a big time response. That is hyperlinked. It's not Hina, which is used a lot. I'm here. It's here I am. Okay. This is a... Big response of parents to children, children to parents, 
and God and people responding to God or the angel of the Lord. Only happens a few times in the Old Testament. When it's in that form in the Hebrew, you're really supposed to pay attention, okay? Particularly, obviously, if you're dealing with God. So, Hineni, it's there. It's the same response. I'll go ahead and tell you this. We'll go back and look at it in a minute. That when Abraham is about to kill Isaac, the angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, doubled. And Abraham's response is, Hineni. So we're supposed to be thinking about that when we see this here, okay? So I'll take you back to that. But anyway, so I'm going ahead and giving you that heads up. Um, then he said, do not... Now, now, you notice God is talking from the bush now, okay? Uh, he, he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Um, and he also said... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, again, let me take you back to Isaiah 6. What happens when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord on his throne? I mean, is it a nice inspiring moment for Isaiah that warms his heart? Is that, is that the way it goes down? No. Um, I mean, what happens? Yeah, he's totally intimidated, right? Um, what about the seraphim? They're around God all the time, right? So they've kind of gotten used to it. It's kind of old hat for them. Um, they're wearing their Boston Red Sox caps and their bulldog shirts and stuff and just saying, wasn't that a great game yesterday? Is that what the seraphim are doing in God's presence? No, what, what are the seraphim doing? Yeah, they have, they have three sets of wings, and what do they do with the three sets of wings? Yeah, they cover their feet. Okay, so this foot thing is, is important, right? They, um, they, they cover their eyes. Why do they cover their eyes? I mean, don't you want to, everybody I ever talk to say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk right up to God and ask him why he did that because, you know, um, it shouldn't have happened that way. Is that the way it goes down when you're actually in God's presence? What do you think? <laughs> apparently, apparently not. Um, okay, so uh, because even the seraphim, right, are covering their eyes. And uh, Isaiah is freaking out because he has seen the Lord. But, you, you know, I spent a lot of time with this, as you heard me say repeatedly. It, it's clear that it's a very broad sense of he sees the Lord, right? It's like Moses sees the Lord, but actually doesn't. He only sees the back reflection of the Lord's glory, okay? Isaiah, remember, Isaiah says the hem of his robe filled the entire temple, so, like I kind of joked about in a couple of the sermons, you know, it's like Isaiah's like, you're saying, what did he look like? And it's like, man, you should have seen the hem of his robe. It was awesome. It's like, yeah, but tell me more. Tell me more. I'm telling you, that's what I saw. I saw the hem of his garment. Um, so, um, anyway, um, notice here, 
Is Moses' response very similar to both the seraphim and to Isaiah in God's presence? Yes. Okay, you're, you're supposed to make that connection. Exodus 3 relates, broadly speaking, to Isaiah 6. So when we read Isaiah, we're supposed to remember that, right? Um, um, By the way, Isaiah responds, Hene, it's not the high-level Heneni, but it's it's at least a light echo off of that. But remember, um, it's the calling of, of Isaiah, okay? Y'all all remember that, right? When he finally gets, after he gets the, the coal and he's been, you know, sanctified and he's able to speak in the presence of the Lord, uh, the Lord says, in general, like to the entire royal or, you know, heavenly audience, whom, whom am I going to send? And you may remember Isaiah says, behold, okay? And implicitly, I'm here. In this case, you got the full hineni uh, from Moses, okay? Um so um, that, that's one aspect of this. Now, let's go back to the other big aspect of this. Um, is Moses supposed to just walk right up to the bush? No. He's supposed to do a couple things. He's supposed to keep distance and take off his sandals. Why do you think he's supposed to take off his sandals? I talked about the, the seraphim cover there you know, feet. Why is he supposed to take off his sandals? It's, it is an open question. There's a little bit of an open question here. You can, there's several things you can say about it. It's an act of reverence. Are, are his sandals, have his sandals, you know, been sanctified? What do you think? No. Do they reflect kind of the fallen earth? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that going on. Now, on the other side of this, um, we tend to think again like, well, yeah, it's really kind of touching and, and nice and kind of part of the story, and isn't Jesus awesome? When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, you're supposed to be thinking about this. And it's a staggering thing when the Son of God washes his disciples' feet. It's just staggering. See? Everybody picking up on this now? Okay, all right. So anyway, um, and, and uh, he also said, I am the God of your father. Which father is he talking about? Is he talking about his immediate father? You know, who is it? Hebrew. Is he talking about Abraham? Is he talking about Isaac? Is he talking about Jacob? And you know my favorite answer, right? And the answer is yes, all of the above. <laughs> Okay, and, and you know, notice, uh, Moses is the adoptive son of the former Pharaoh. Is Pharaoh Moses' real father? Well, what about Jethro? Jethro kind of adopted him when, you know, Moses was on the run and he married into the family. Is Jethro really Moses' father? No. Moses is in this covenant line, and God is affirming that. Could God decide, I don't want Moses? Absolutely. 
But it's clear, you know, Moses is being hooked into this. Now, so everything that happens in Exodus, is it just kind of a random new thing that God is doing? No, it totally relates back to what we've learned about the covenant with Abraham. Okay, it all comes from that. Uh, Again, now, of course, obviously, everything that we're reading in Isaiah, is it random? No, it relates to all these covenants and the rest of the Old Testament we've been studying, including, very importantly, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob off of Abraham. Moses, very importantly, David. To a certain extent, Phineas, and certainly Noah, and Adam, and then pushes us forward into how Jesus is going to bring all that together and fulfill all that and move us forward with the new covenant. Okay, So um, that's who he is, and Moses hit his face. And uh, let me just, uh, I guess I'll just read through this, but like I said, we'll come back to some of this. Um, um, Seven, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down. That's a big word there. Come down. I mean, in Hebrew, it's a big word. Uh, Come down. What other times have we seen God come down? God comes down to deal with the Tower of Babel. God comes down to to talk to and assure Abraham and Sarah that they are going to have a son. And also at the same time, that's the good news side of the story. It's kind of a, it's like when I'm bringing, I'm going on a trip to Florida and I'm, I don't know, bringing a gift to somebody and somebody else, I'm telling they're cut out of the will or something like that. Um, God comes down to assure Abraham and Sarah, and then God is going to go check out what's going on in Sodom because the cries have come up about Sodom and God's going to make a final determination about this. So, That's also God. So now, um, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Uh, Now, let me just pause right there. God has come down. Where is God? Is God in Egypt right now? No. God's off in the middle of nowhere, seemingly, at the mountain of the Lord at Horeb, talking to one guy who got kicked out by the, or had got, you know, scared, run out of town by the Egyptians. And part of his big problem was the Hebrews rejected him. Okay? So this seems like an odd plan by God. If God is going to come down, wouldn't you think God would come down into Egypt? That's not what he does. He comes down to talk to this one guy Moses at the mountain of the Lord when Moses is off in the middle of nowhere herding sheep and goats. Isn't God interesting? Uh, when God was going to call, when God was going to try to reframe all of human history, um, you know, God calls one guy who doesn't even have any kids yet and his wife is not fertile to start this whole new project, Abraham and Sarah. Um, could it be that God sometimes is acting now in ways that we would say, come on, let's get the show on, God. I mean, you, know, you, need to, you need to really, you need to have a rally of like a billion people in a major gathering. And God's saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something through a few of y'all. 
Could God possibly do that nowadays too? What do you think? So God comes down to Horeb and says, it's, it's about to break open. If you were Moses, would you believe it? I, I think you'd be pretty convinced by this like overwhelming display you've just seen, right? But it, now, now, and remember, this is about, we're about to get into this. I'm not going to do the whole Moses thing tonight. But just remember, Moses has already been rejected by the Hebrew people. Remember they said, who died and put you in charge? You know, trying to get us to stop fighting with each other. You're, you're, you're Pharaoh's guy. And, and you killed an Egyptian. He, you remember he kills an Egyptian to protect, a, you know, the Egyptians abusing the Hebrews. And the Hebrews don't even like him for it. You know the way it is when you're an outsider, like racially or socially or whatever, and you try to step in? And that's just what happened to Moses. And so Moses, Moses has been gone for years now, and Moses is really not at all thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great to go back to Egypt and deal with the Egyptians who are trying to kill me and the Hebrews who totally re rejected me? But this is God's plan. Okay, so, um, and now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. At verse 9, Moses would say, Amen, Lord. Now you bring the wrath of your almighty forces down on Egypt, and I will applaud from over here in Midian. And if you need a few goats or sheep for the project, I will gladly donate them. But wait a minute. Let's read on <laughs> verse 10. Come, I will send you. <laughs> Me? I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel? And that, that actually is, um, I'm sure that's been, uh, been the uh, it's sons of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, verse 12. And, yes. <laughs> Yes, and that's a very good point, Nancy. So sometimes do we want God to talk to us and have a relationship with us? Yes, and we, we, we would like that because, among other things, we have things we need God to do for us. But what if God asks us to do stuff for him? Does that change the relationship? Yes. <laughs> what if he asks us to do stuff that, like, most people aren't going to like or, like, respond to? Yeah, so this is, what, this is a good point, right? I mean, he was all excited about getting to see God, you know, until he finds out, you got to be joking. You want me to stick my neck out. I mean, this is like literally like everybody in Egypt from the Hebrews to the Egyptians want to kill him. This is really not a good assignment. Um, so would you go, by the way? By the way, he tries to get out of it four different times. Well, I, I, I've been thinking about this. I mean, a burning bush certainly would get your attention. A talking burning bush, <laughs> even more so. Yes. So I was, I don't know. I'll probably pay close attention to that. Yes. And then, so this is this is the crux of the matter. This runs all the way consistently all over the place through the Bible and into the New Testament, certainly with Isaiah and into the New Testament. And it hits us too. It's verse 12. And he said, surely... For certainly, I will be with you. Now that, I mean, just the 12a is like the big deal. In other words, all you need to know 
is I will be with you. But I'm afraid to get sick and die. But I will be with you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. What's the big deal? God said. But you're asking me to do something that I may get killed over. So I'll be with you. And even if you get killed, you're in my hands. You see that? I mean, that's like, that's the the big message in the Bible. So um, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you. Exodus is big on signs. John is big on signs. The signs as well as the I am. This is a big deal, okay? And uh, God likes to demonstrate through signs. Covenants have signs and God's further activity. God likes to use signs. When Jesus came, John tells us you can organize some of Jesus' major miracles as not just general miracles, they are signs of who he is as the Son of God and what the gospel is about. So, anyway, um, this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, avad, okay, uh, worship God at this mountain. Now, that term, um, Avad is big term for Isaiah. It runs through the Old Testament that Israel is supposed to be the servant of the Lord and supposed to serve the Lord and worship. When he says worship, it doesn't just mean like sing a couple hymns and clap for a minute. It means serve, okay? So, um, and of course, as we've seen, I mean, we've just seen it. You've heard it a lot lately. Jesus is the ultimate fulfilling servant of the Lord. Uh, but anyway, so you shall serve, worship God at this mountain. In other words, this is a sign I'm going to give you, Moses. Now, there are going to be all these other signs, you know, when Pharaoh rejects Moses and God's, you know, request slash command to let his people go. Uh, there's all kinds of signs with the plagues. But God is telling Moses, here's how you're going to know. <clears throat> when you get through all the stuff, you're going to see you're here bringing these people to worship me at this mountain. That's your sign. Um, when the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, they tell them they have a sign. They're supposed to go see a sign in Bethlehem. What's the sign? Well, the star is the sign to the wise men. What do the shepherds see? What's their sign? This will be a sign. You shall find... Yeah, wrapped in... Okay. So those are all signs. So signs are a big deal to God, right? We're supposed to pay attention to signs. So anyway, um, now I've already talked about the relationship of uh, Exodus 3 and the opening of Exodus 3 to Isaiah 6. Uh, one through eight parallels in contrast. Let's just, uh, you should know Isaiah 6 pretty well now, but let's just read through. Again, I've already talked about it, but if there's any final points we want to make before we move on to other stuff, let's do it pretty quickly. Um, so, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another, this to that, Holy, 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 Kadosh, 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 Yahweh Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his kavod, his weight, his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Um, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of Adonai, Lord, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, and you remember the the good news of the rejection thing. Uh, we went into that pretty heavily. Okay, so there. Any final thoughts on Isaiah 6? But you see how all this connects, right? It all relates to Isaiah 2. Okay. All right, now, let's go backwards. So God is telling Moses, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And God is referencing his covenant relationship with them through that. So we've pretty much done Abraham, but I did want to do a little bit... Uh, the uh, this is hugely important, of course. Uh, Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Um, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, guess what? Hanani. Okay? This time, though, it's one Abraham. We're going to get to verse 11 and you get two Abrahams, okay? And you're going to get the same response. Hineni. Okay? Uh, in other words, at your service, Lord, is what that's saying. What do you want, boss? I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Okay? Um, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Hineni. And he said, take your son, your only son, Yitzhak, Isaac, whom you love. Now, of course, when we read that, we're supposed to be thinking about Jesus as Christians, right? When we go back and read this, okay? Um, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Yitzhak. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and, and arose and went uh, to the place which God had told him. On the third day, you think that's important? Yes, of course. Okay. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So how are they going to serve? How's it going to go down? Um, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Obviously for us as Christians, that is very <laughs> pictorial there. The wood, you know, shouldered by the sun, Yitzhak. And he took his hand and took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, were, they went, both of them, together. And Yitzhak 
Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Okay, so he's there for his son. He said, behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laughter, his son, remember his name means laughter, bound laughter, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11. Uh, but the angel of the Lord, who was talking to Moses at the beginning from the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, double there, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son, in substitution for his son. Now notice this substitutionary language is really important and connects to the fact that Jesus is the lamb who went to the slaughter in our place. Now remember, the promise is for a lamb, right? And in this case, a ram is provided, so we're still looking for the lamb. And who is the lamb? Um, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Yirah. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And, the, uh, and that's kind of reflecting the fact that the Jews understood that they got substitutionary sacrifice, right, um, at the place of the temple, on the mountain of the Lord. But did Abraham know because in verse 5 he said, we will worship and then we will come And so in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says that he reckoned one of, that, that Abraham reckoned one of two things. Either that he wasn't going to have to kill his son or the writer of Hebrews says... He's, he reckoned that even if he killed his son, that God, who had been able to give life in the midst of no way there's life, right? Sarah's old and barren. They cannot have a child. If God could do that, that he could raise his son from the dead. And so Abraham thought even if he killed his son, that he was going to get a walk back with him. He had total trust in him. Yeah. That is pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, very good questions. And, um, I mean, I, this is not one of these passages where I think we're all supposed to say, well, obviously, I would easily do that. I mean, we're not, we're not supposed to say. But that, this is, so, this is the crux of the matter with Abraham and the covenant. So, um, even though Abraham fails in a lot of ways, this is pretty high-level faith here. I mean, it doesn't get any more powerful than that in the entire Old Testament, really. And, of course, it's supposed to, it's a precursor to what God does for us. Okay. All right, so, um, and the angel of the Lord, verse 15, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, now this is like, the covenant's already like in, in place, but this is like really the big, like 
you know, celebration of the covenant in the aftermath of what you've just heard. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. Now, the Bible in the New Testament makes a big point is you have, you're supposed to swear by something higher than yourself, right? Is there anything higher than God? No. But then even beyond that, God is swearing by himself. Now, if God is swearing by himself, it seems like there should be two parties involved, and Abraham's not at God's level, so what are we talking about here? Are we talking about some kind of swearing going on within the Godhead? What do you think? Yeah, arguably, right? Okay. Um, I have sworn by, uh, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I mean, how many times have you been reading your only son, your only son? <laughs> um, I will surely bless you. And notice, by the way, again, two things going on here. Abraham already at this point has another son who's older than Isaac named Ishmael. But is Ishmael the son under the covenant, number one? No, not under this covenant. He's got covenant promises, but they're second tier, okay? Um, so, and number two, again, why is the Bible making such a big deal about this only son thing? Does... Moses and whoever else helped put together Genesis know about Jesus? No, historically not, right? But isn't it interesting that this language is pounded all the way back in Genesis 22? And then we get to the New Testament, okay? So anyway, um, <clears throat> I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your seed. Remember, that's seed, your offspring, as the stars of heaven. These promises we've already read, but this is like on the aftermath of this. Um, I will surely do it, and I've sworn by myself now, and as the sand that is in the seashore, and your offspring, your seed, shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In other words, I am guaranteeing the success of the Great Commission here, and I'm swearing by myself it's going to happen. Y'all see that? So Abraham, that, that's like huge. That is, like 15 through, 15 through 18 is, we should just be in awe and rejoicing about those verses. It's just incredible. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went to Bathsheba. And uh, Abraham lived at Bathsheba. And um, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, and so on. So Sarah dies, he buys the end of the cave for her. He doesn't have any land of his own in the promised land, but he buys this cave. And then that gets into this whole thing about um, everybody wanting to be buried in the promised land. So um, God reiterates the covenant to Isaac. Uh, Genesis 26. Um, Isaac goes to Gerar. God says, don't go down to verse 2. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring, this is Genesis 26, I will give all the lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and will give to your seed all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So in other words, God is saying to Isaac, 
you're under the covenant. The covenant promises are as good to you as they were to Abraham. And then he said, because Abraham <laughs> obeyed my voice. And by the way, you probably want to do what I'm telling you to do right now. Don't go down to Egypt. So uh, Isaac does not. Isaac eventually, you know, Isaac builds his own altar to the Lord. And in his older age, Isaac becomes increasingly faithful. Uh, of course, Isaac has the two sons. Um, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau and that whole story going on there. Let's just get to, um, I'm not going to go through the whole Jacob and Esau story. Most of y'all know that. Uh, we're not trying to do the, like an entire, like exhaustive study of the Old Testament. Let's just go to Genesis 35, kind of wrapping up on Jacob. Um, God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel. Genesis 35, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods uh, that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. Bethel means house of God, okay? And, and he, he, has that, he gave that name. So that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So has Jacob been like totally pristinely faithful to God? No. What about his household? How's his household? <laughs> it's like, hey, y'all get rid of the idols because we got to go like make an altar to God. So everybody's got to clean their act up while we go. Okay, so, but God is making his covenant promise to Jacob now. Um, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And he and all his people who were with him, and there he built an altar uh, called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. This is years before. Now he's building an altar there. Um, and Deborah dies, Rebecca's nurse. Um, verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, Yaakov. Um, no longer shall your name be called Yaakov, but Israel, Israel uh, shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. What does that remind you of? That goes all the way back to like Adam. Okay, do y'all see that? Okay. Um, and of course, Noah too. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And the land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your seed after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. That means house of God. So you see how the covenant is reiterated, and it's like, this is covenant's with you too, okay? And, uh, you know, all the nation's going to be blessed, all this kind of thing. Um, some final notes. I'm not going to go into the Joseph story. Uh, we could come back later if y'all really want to talk about the Joseph story. That's, a, like, another study. But remember how they end up down in Egypt, right? And then it's a big deal. Um, several things. Jacob, under the covenant, Jacob or Israel, okay, blesses all his sons. And the blessing on Judah is the blessing of future kingship, okay? Because the older sons have forfeited 
their priority. Judah has certainly not been pristine himself, but in his older age, he is faithful, and God chooses Judah. And so the line of the real king, meaning at one level David and ultimately Jesus, is going to come through Judah. And the, one of the fascinating stories about that is, you remember, Jacob or Israel has two wives, as well as their, you know, servant ladies too. Okay? So he, he, has, he has these 12 or 13 sons um, by uh, these different women, right? But remember, his disfavored wife is Leah. And she's barren for a long period of time. Uh, But she she has, God opens her womb, and she has sons. And at first, she's in competition with her sister. And then she gets faithful, and she (coughs) names her third son in praise to the Lord. And his name is Judah, okay? And it's that son through whom we get the line of the Savior. Okay, y'all with me on this? It's really kind of interesting stuff. Uh, back from um, that, that, whole, that whole story. Um, so, um, Joseph, you know, Joseph ends up down and, um, you know, taking over things. And, but Jacob makes Joseph promise him that he's going to bury his bones in uh, the family cave, burial cave. And so Joseph does this huge procession at the beginning of the the, the last chapter of Genesis. Joseph, like, does this huge procession uh, up to the promised land and buries um, Jacob, the bones of Jacob, his dad. And what's really interesting is Joseph does that, and when he gets back, his brothers aren't worried about dad being dead, and apparently they didn't even go for the funeral, but they're all worried about Joseph coming down on them now. You may remember this. You remember this? Okay, <laughs> pretty interesting. And then when Joseph dies, he makes, he makes uh, the uh, Israelites promise that they will bury his bones um, at Shechem, and they do. And like Joshua tells us this, and even in Acts, when they're giving, like in Acts chapter 7, <laughs> Stephen's giving a speech, he refers to, this is like, it's like, really? This is really important? I mean, he, he, you know, when he's about to get stoned to death, when he's giving the basic summary sermon of the entire Old Testament, one of the things he brings up is the fact that Joseph's bones were buried. You know, he didn't allow himself to be buried in Egypt. Why, why are they worried about being buried, not in Egypt, but in the promised land? Why do you think? Why does it matter? that they be buried in the promised land. Does it matter where you're buried? Apparently so to them, right? Did they say just, I don't know, burn me up and throw my, you know, whatever? I mean, no, they're like really concerned about where they're buried, okay? Um, so this gets into the same kind of thing, Gloria, actually, like, like in the New Testament, the saying these guys trust in the promise, and even though they're not gonna, they're not gonna see the full flowering of the promise, they really want to be out of sin and death in Egypt and laid to rest where the promises will be fulfilled. Okay? It's kind of interesting, too, as a side note. Um, Jacob uses terminology for being put down, you know, like buried. Uh, Joseph says he wants them to lift up his bones and take them to 
promised land, which is really interesting. So that's a little bit of kind of Old Testament, the latter part of Genesis. Questions? Somebody had questions. Anybody have questions about the latter part of Genesis? So that then leads into, you know, hundreds of years pass. The Hebrews are slaves, and um, we pick up on the Exodus and the Moses story where we started. So that's what's going on there. Um, All these covenants and all these reiterations of the covenant, really important. Families are really important. What happens when you live, when you die, what you do with your children, all this is very important in the Bible, okay? Makes you think a lot, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah. And um, are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust God? He says, I'll be with you. Don't worry about all that other stuff. I'm bigger than Pharaoh. Do you believe God's bigger than Pharaoh? Pharaoh's got a lot of power. That's that's what we'll talk about that the next couple times, okay? All right. What's that? Yeah, Pharaoh's robe does not build the temple. (laughs) Nor does his glory fill the entire creation, right? Yes. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time together to study your word. We give thanks and we, Lord, we praise you and we pray, Lord, that you would embolden us and strengthen us. We're sinful people, Lord, but you call us and you know us um, in your son, Jesus. And so we pray that by his spirit, by your spirit, you would strengthen us to be bold and faithful, trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray on this. Thank you, guys.